we have mentioned ESG a few times on this podcast. And last week, we talked about how the difference between impact investing and ESG in the interview with Kabakura. But you can do so much more than to choose to invest in some companies and divest in others. You can make a difference in a company and help sway the direction that the company is headed using your shareholder vote. You can definitely do this, but sometimes your current portfolio company will sell out your share. So it might be extremely complicated for you to actually make that vote. That is one of the reasons that my fantastic guest that I have on today, Daniel Naeem, created fennel it's a new age investing application to give back the power of investing when you choose to invest in a company and daniel's got two other goals for fennel as well so make sure that you listen to this entire interview to hear what those goals are and really take a deep dive into esg what it means and why it has billionaires quaking in their boots so make sure you stick around for this entire interview and get your investment power back You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Daniel, do you mind telling us a bit about Fennel and what you guys do? Yeah, so Fennel is a new age mobile investing application. And what we're trying to do is to give power back to people's investments. And there's three ways we primarily want to do that. The first is we want to be a transparent brokerage firm. And so we want to tell you where your orders are being executed. We don't want to lend out your securities and we essentially want to work for you and we don't want to use you as the product. And then the two other things we're trying to do is to get people more engaged with the shareholder votes and essentially just communicate to companies some of the values that they think the company should support. And then lastly, we're helping people understand what those values are. And so we focus primarily on helping people in the ESG space, which is the environmental, social, and governance space. So how can you really measure a company's impact on the environment, how it treats its employees, and how does it really structure its corporate body? Yeah, could you go into a little bit more detail on ESG? Like, what does that actually mean in terms of, like, environment first, and then we can go into the others, too? Yeah, so ESG in general is a, has been a very complicated and contentious term over the past couple of years, and it's just been rebranded. Originally, it was called socially responsible investing and it's actually created by nuns nuns who wanted to see certain christian values implemented into public companies right but just to start smaller the most basic and probably what's gotten the most attention in recent days is the environmental aspect so the idea here is can we take into consideration a company's carbon emissions the waste that they're dumping the water that they're using on the planet and can we somehow hold them accountable with numbers and metrics. And the idea here is society is probably going to move towards taxes on carbon. It's going to move towards understanding these numbers and how to implement more costs to companies. So why shouldn't consumers understand those costs and those numbers? So the environmental focus really is just understanding how a company's business practices pollute more or less relative to other people and how it treats the resources that we all share. And are there 
things that are weighted higher than others. So let's say you own a trucking company and you are sending trucks back and forth all across the country. And so you have a bunch of CO2 emissions from the trucks that release it from their combustion engines and versus like another company who might be using 10,000 gallons of water every single day in the California desert. Is yeah. there a scale? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So it's a great question because this is actually at the heart of the problem of ESG is that recently a lot of people have come up with their own methodology because the government has decided they don't want to standardize things. They're not trying to come in and hold everyone to the same standard and, and implement a tax credit. So what happens is large companies, one of which is MSCI or Morningstar, they have this program called Sustainalytics, they create their own models. So they say, look, if we're going to target carbon emissions, let's look at these 20 factors. Let's look at, yes, carbon emission. Let's look at the percent renewable that the company employs in their energy. Let's look at their scope one versus scope two emission, which is just how much are they using internally versus how much are they using for shipping, et cetera. And uh, let's weight those depending on the industry. So at the heart of this is creating a model that takes all of these things into account, right? When you look at an ESG score, you don't want to be comparing apples to oranges, you want to be comparing apples to apples. And so you want to say, okay, given that this company is a shipping company, how does it stack up amongst other shipping companies in the space? And that's primarily where you want to use these screens and how you want to keep companies accountable. Because at the end of the day, it's the company's choice to decide to move towards more renewable. It's not their choice to invent new technologies that essentially reduce their carbon emission in more innovative ways. It's just are you keeping up with the most up-to-date standards, technology that can help reduce carbon emissions? Definitely. And now onto the social side, what does that entail? Yeah. So the social side is more aspects of how does the company treat both of its employees and how does it use corporate social responsibility to treat the outside world? And so these are things that you know, we, we all are hyper aware of in our day-to-day -day lives. Is there a pay gap disparity between men and women at that company? Do they have good gender diversity? Do they target, do they have a, a diversity officer that implements policies and they try to create a more inclusive environment? Do they have accidents, right? If they're factory producers, do they have consistent injuries of their workforce? You can look at these larger companies like Amazon and that's where you start to think about more of these social features, right? Do they support unions? Do they support maternity leave and et cetera, right? Those are more standardized across industries, I'd like to say, versus environmental, right? The weighting should be considered because it really is just fair treatment of employees. And I think that should be standardized regardless of what industry you're in. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of that has to do with some of the laws that have come out ever since we started having a nine to five schedule and things like that. The unions fought for way back when came from that. So a lot of that still is around, but there's a lot more newer things like you were mentioning, like maternity leave and how much diversity they have on their team and everything like that. So I think those are important aspects as well. What about the governance side, the last part? So the governance side, I always like to think of if anyone's ever watched the HBO show Succession, it's a lot like that, right? So it's a lot understanding, does this company have what's called a poison pill? Recently, there was this takeover attempt from Elon Musk and Twitter, and everyone at the time was talking about this thing called a poison pill, which is essentially when a company issues a bunch of new shares to try to dilute shareholders so there's no majority takeover. And so it really is thinking about the corporate board 
the structure of the company. And again, a lot of those social elements will tie into it. So things like gender diversity on the board, et cetera, but also things like what is the average pay gap between the CEO and the average employee? And that matters because if you're paying your CEO exorbitant amounts over your average employees, that really is a mismanagement of the governance of your companies. What are you choosing to invest in? What is the board ultimately deciding the direction of the company should go? And then along with that is all of the shareholder rights. So you have a bunch of investors and you're a public company. How do you ensure that each vote counts the same? Each share has equal amount of ownership in the company and say in the company, right? You have these companies like Facebook that are structured in such a way where the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg's votes count for 10 times the average vote. And so no real change can happen in that company. And so if you're a shareholder that's wanting to get engaged with a company and hoping for them to change, you should be looking at those metrics and understanding, okay, this company will never change because I'd have to own 10 times the amount of shares to even equal one of their votes. And so it tells you a little bit about where the management is thinking, are they set in their ways? Are they ever going to change? Yeah, that's really interesting. I never really had the governance side defined for me. So that's really good. You explained it in a really good way. Thank you. you. Yeah, I thought a lot and about this. Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you come into starting Fennel? Yeah, so I actually don't come from this world of finance at all. I was born in the Bay Area and I traveled internationally when I was a teenager. And when I came back for college, I actually started my first year in, in economics. And I discovered I took this astrophysics class at the end of my first year, I transferred majors, transferred universities. I went to UC Berkeley. I studied a dual degree in physics and astrophysics. And then I went on to do my PhD jointly between UC Davis and Livermore National Lab. And so I was working on dark matter detection and nuclear reactor monitoring. And so it turns out the same technology you can use to try to detect dark matter you can monitor nuclear reactors hundreds of miles away to understand how much plutonium is produced. So I was in a completely different world. I was in the world of science. And throughout my scientific career, I was always grappling with this fear that climate change is real and people are not really doing anything. The amount of effort I saw going into taking action was lacking based on where we had to be. And that scared me, that terrified me. And I could have gone on to science, but I lived in the Bay Area and we've recently developed a fifth season, which is just called fire. And for essentially a month out of the year, you can't see the sun most days because of the fires up north. And that terrified me. I'd walk into work with one of those N95 masks before COVID just because you couldn't breathe in those particles. That was always in the back of my mind, but a few things like helped tip the scales to direct me into this world and create fennel. The first was I took this econophysics class during my second year of grad school. And it was essentially, how do you take physics models and apply them to the stock market? And especially in dark matter, you're so used to not seeing any signal, right? You have these radio telescopes in the middle of the desert that try to look for alien life. They're called SETI and you never see anything. And when I started creating these like trading models, I would start to see the signals I was looking for other people were reacting to. And so that was interesting to me because I was like, okay, there's someone on the other end of this. And I discovered there was this whole deep layer in Wall Street of math PhDs, physics PhDs that were just generating wealth for high net worth clients. And I started to think this really isn't fair, right? There should be a way for these same tools. These same minds shouldn't be just like isolated. Everyday people should have these tools to make investment decisions. And that led me down the rabbit hole of ESG, understanding that ESG can be more than just values, it can be making investment decisions. So if a company has overexposure to oil and carbon and oil's rising in prices, 
they're probably going to suffer. You should be able to know that. So that was a financial introduction that got me really interested. Two other big things, three other big things were happening at the same time. The first is Tesla was exploding in the stock market. And all of a sudden, government policy, both domestic and international, were changing. California and New Jersey and Germany were all saying by 2035, we're only allowing the sale of electric vehicles. Ford and GM started to come into the market and invest billions, right? This technology always existed. Why couldn't they convert us to a more renewable source earlier? There was money to be made in the stock market. So that let me think really where we decide to make our investments in society is the direction society will be in the next 10 to 20 years. And for this generation, that idea of value is changing. Tesla succeeded because, not because it's fundamentals, it succeeded because a generation knew that a world couldn't exist in 20 years without a company like Tesla. We needed some sort of renewable source. So that was very interesting to me that government listened. The other was at the time, this small little hedge fund called Engine Number One had amassed $50 million of ExxonMobil and convinced the largest institutional investment firms in the world, BlackRock, et cetera, to join forces on a vote that they had proposed to replace four of the 12 board seats of ExxonMobil with the sole intent of reducing carbon emissions. This is one of the largest carbon emitters in the world, okay? And a financial institution replaced one third of all the decision makers in that company to direct wow. them to reduce more carbon emission. So that was huge. That broke news coverage internationally and it was a big deal. And it showed that this was possible. Like you didn't need billions, trillions of dollars to do this. You just needed a small group of people with assets that could think about changing the world, right? And putting these votes forward. And then the last thing that hit it over the edge was the GameStop movement. So at the time I had already been starting the company and I wanted to do a mobile-based investing application. And all of a sudden you found this group of a people, retail investors, people who invest in the stock market of their own accord, coming together and taking on large financial institutions for good things. I mean, if you stop and think about the GameStop movement, it's a governance play. It's just saying we want better governance in the stock market. Right. So that really excited me. And so I thought, can we put all these pieces together? Can we really accelerate change through the stock market? Can we get companies to be more sustainable quicker? Can we get people elected to board seats of companies that are thinking about future generations, not just next quarter's profit? So that's where Fennel came from. And I hope that it can serve as a better tool for these people to amplify their voice and just create more change at the highest levels of public companies that exist today. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that because I think the, the way that we are going to reach our net zero goals in 2050 or 2035 or whenever we are trying to reach those goals, the only way we're going to meet them is through business because business has such a big, Thank huge you. impact. And if we can not only change large businesses, but also create new businesses, which is what all this podcast is all about, being able to say that there are these great people doing great work. We need to support them, be able to help them grow, get larger so that they can make more of an impact. If we can do that, that's how we're going to reach those 2050 goals, not by Joe Biden putting out something or, or whoever. It doesn't matter what government official tries to do. If we can make companies understand with our wallets, with our choices, that's how we're going to make a difference. And that's how we're going to make the, these changes happen. Because when it comes down to it, 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 if I was a company, am I going to choose to stand by something that is not going to put cash in my pocket? No, like the money talks. Yes. Big time. 
Big time. And the thing to think about here, look, I agree with everything you said. It has to be the people and we have to be supporting this. And this is a long movement, right? My argument is like value is changing, right? What is cheap now is going to be expensive in the future. And you're going to want to support companies right now that are thinking about sustainability because the way they're growing right now is unsustainable. And it's not forever going to be putting those dollars. It's not going to be prioritizing dollars into those companies. Tesla, you can think about it as just a canary in the coal mine, right? They have their own problems. But I completely agree with you that it does have to come from business decisions. And that ultimately comes from people, right? People deciding where they put their money and what they exactly and that we're having this movement is gaining more and more support because of this new generation values this they value the sustainability they understand that the fires are happening like they see all this evidence for climate change and 10 20 years ago we didn't really have we had a lot of scientific data evidence and oh that's great like you can see the graph moving up and like, <laughs> all this carbon dioxide and all that but what does that actually mean i still go to work every day it doesn't affect me now people are being affected there's a number from one of the other entrepreneurs that i interviewed she said i think 32 million people have become climate refugees right yeah. now and yeah. it's and that number is only going to grow because you get to this point where you know the climate is causing your area to just be unlivable for your way of life or for what you're doing. So you have to move. That's what a refugee is. And it's happening and it's happening right now. And so we're really starting to see all of this happening and all of these changes happening. And it's not just going to be a fad. It's not just going to be yep. something that everybody's like, oh, it'll pass. We can yeah. just uh, ride the wave or whatever. No, that's, that's not the way this is going. You brought up something that's like really relevant, which is when you start to think about climate refugees, it's not just, look, who are going to be able to make these moves are the wealthier individuals, right? If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're not going to be able to just pick up and say, where is the weather better? I'll go live there. And all of this climate catastrophe, social injustices is all tied to income inequality, right? It's all tied to who is making the decisions with the money, right? Currently, financial institutions have essentially sold a product of convenience. Hey, invest in this basket of 500 companies and this ETF. We'll take care of everything. Don't worry about it. It's no charge to you. Put it in your 401k. Forget about it. Don't even think about where the money is, right? Or think about public banks. You put your money in, inside of a bank. They're taking that cash and investing it somewhere else, right? And they're choosing to invest it in big oil or whatever makes them the most money. They're profiting on your cash for the luxury of convenience. The same thing is true for investing in the stock market, right? It's all tied to this financial inequality and it's all by design. These ETFs, A, they have the right to vote on your behalf. So even if you invest with them, they take your votes and they own probably 20% of every large Fortune 500 company in the States. And when they come to a boardroom and they say, look, we want you to do X, Y, Z, the board listens, right? Because they own 20% of our company. Do they really own it? Not really. That funding is coming from everyday people paying for convenience. And on top of that, yeah, they own the votes. Something similar is happening in the brokerage industry as well. It's not just, even if you're picking your own independent stocks, who you're buying those stocks from, right? Whatever financial brokerage firm it is, they are also lending out your securities. They're saying, okay, we're going to do the same thing the banks do with your cash. We're holding your stock of Apple, let's say. But if someone wants to come in and borrow that stock for a day, we'll give it to them and we'll collect cash and you'll see 
virtually none of that. When they lend out your share, when they give it to someone else, even for a day, the vote follows the share. So even if you wanted to engage on some of these issues, right, you fill out the ballot, you spend all this time researching what's the right thing to do for the climate here for this vote of this company that I own, your brokerage lends out your share. So your vote doesn't even count. And they have no legal obligation to ever tell you that, by the way. So you can spend all this time researching and filling out a ballot, submitting your vote, and your vote could not even count. That's why we've decided to change things from the financial institution. And I just think these two things are very much linked. Business, science policy, climate policy, everything is following money. And so our hope is that people can start to wake up from this veil that's been put over their eyes for the sake of convenience. And to your point, it's the same thing happening now where you're seeing the physical effects of climate change. And so that veil has been lifted. You can't ignore it any longer. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And so how does Fennel, how do you address these issues? So we address these issues, like I said, so we don't sell you as a product. We don't lend out your securities ever. So when you sign up for us, we ensure that your vote always counts. We also ensure that we're not participating in what's called payment for order flow. That's a whole other deeper dive, but it's one of these practices where essentially in order for you to have a free product, they are selling your data, so to speak, these larger financial institutions. We don't participate in that. The second is we're going to be the first retail brokerage firm to ever offer everyday investors a voting policy. So we want to make it very easy for you to vote. We don't want to take time out of your day to research every single topic. Large financial institutions actually have teams of hundreds of research analysts that do this for all of the companies. So why can't retail investors have access to that same of research? right? Why can't it just be, look, I care about climate. Anytime there's a climate vote with shares that I own, vote me pro-climate. And we still want to give you all the education, all the information about the votes and the ability to change to go against your policy if you want to. So our hypothesis is that if you reduce the barriers to entry, these are all issues that people care about, like just educate people that these things are happening. And we think people will take action in and of themselves. Yeah. So we're a public benefit corporation. We're going through the B Corp certification right now. And really it's our motive to put the investors first, put our customers first. That's awesome. And you have a lot of data as well about ESG on different companies. How do you guys aggregate that data and how does that all come about? Yeah. So we have over 90 different data vendors that we're sourcing right now. And we're collecting data from a bunch of different places. We're skating to where the puck is going. We're not skating to where it is. And what that means is ultimately it's up to the government and to regulate disclosures. So recently the SEC regulated that public companies have to properly disclose their carbon emissions. Okay. So they have to have a plan. So that's great data. That's going to be high quality data. There's a lot of stuff that's in between. I brought over four physics PhDs that I knew back in the day to help work on this project. We're very comfortable with large data sets, figuring out what's good data, what's bad, digesting them for everyday people. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to make sure that you guys have access to the right data. So percentage of women managers at a company, pay gap between men and women, carbon emissions, waste dump, all that stuff. We're putting down in an easy digestible place and we're telling you what the raw number is, but we're telling you how they compare against other people. So we're just trying to make things more transparent so you can take action. But ultimately, a lot of these disclosures are going to have to come from government. But lastly, a lot of these votes that are directed towards these public companies are usually focused on more disclosure, better information. So we think we can accelerate the process by getting people to vote, to get better data, to understand which are the wrongdoers and which are the right doers and help remedy that quicker. 
Definitely. The key is really being able to have the right data, have accurate data so that you can make accurate decisions. That's a huge part of data. So tell me, where do you see the future of ESG going over the next two to three years? Yeah. I think it's going to be a interesting time for ESG over the next two, three years. I think there's a revolution coming, and I think we're just seeing the first stages of that. And my suspicion is that the ESG movement is actually going to be played out over a decade. And just in the same way right now, you're having people bashing ESG in the media. The thing I like to think about critically is you think back to the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s when these large oil companies and tobacco industry giants were funding marketing that actually said, hey, the science is not accurate. We don't know if global warming. And I think the same thing is happening with ESG, right? You should be a little bit suspicious when all the billionaires of the world and the largest public companies in the world all get together and start bashing ESG, right? That's a little bit telling as to they're afraid of this thing. And they're afraid of this thing because it can actually, they know it can change the world, right? We're seeing it slowly in the financial world. And that's why conservatives, Republicans are terrified, but they shouldn't be because I think ESG is going to evolve beyond just carbon emissions. It's going to evolve into values, right? If you are a Christian, go ahead and align your investments with your values, right? How do I know which companies are participating in a board of that's just transparency of information of what you're investing in, right? So I think ESG in and of itself, like it will evolve beyond just climate. That's my hope, even though I really do want it to target climate change reduction, but it'll just be part of everyone's investment lifestyle. It'll be part of everyone's investment lifestyle of fundamentals and portfolio analysis. Where I do think is going to expand rapidly over the next two to three years, though, is shareholder voting is something that's new and it's essentially just the other side of the ESG coin, right? It's not enough to divest from companies. You shouldn't just say this is emitting a lot of carbon. I want nothing to do with it. They actually want that because you no longer have a say at that company and they can go ahead and do whatever they want. With the EPA being deregulated even further right now, the time to get engaged with public companies is now. And I think more and more tools and more awareness is going to come up in the shareholder voting space. So that's where I think the world of ESG is going. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely see that. And it, it, you mentioned how in all the everything, all the billionaires get together and start bashing something. You can throw a little flag in the air for you about, I wonder why. It's because <laughs> they're scared of change because they've made all their money or they've gotten to their position because of the way they've done things in the past. And people inherently don't like change, even though we live off of change, if things didn't change, Absolutely. we would be so bored and just like completely, we wouldn't be able to survive. The whole process of change goes into the way we eat and we have to change the meals we have. And we don't eat the same thing we ate last year at eight o'clock in the morning. That's not the way we live. So it's really funny, this dichotomy in this space that we live, where in our minds, we hate change. We don't want things to change but yet we live off of that change. And it's a lesson in ourselves to really try to embrace that, try to embrace that change and realize that change is inevitable. Absolutely. And it really is what made America the powerhouse it is today. Can we embrace change? Can we evolve rapidly more than any other country in the nation? And this is clearly where we should be going as a society. Yeah. Agreed with you. Our bodies change every seven years, right? Exactly. And what are your goals for fennel in the rest of this year and on into 2023? 
So for the rest of this year, we're approaching our launch of the product. We've been working, a lot of very smart, dedicated people have been working on this for the past 20 months. So we're about to go public to the world and give people access to this tool. So that's our main objective for this year. We just want to raise awareness that this is something that's happening. We want to promote our product as something that can help people. But this movement is way bigger than fennel alone, which is why we're also creating partnerships with larger institutions. And we're just trying to raise awareness right anywhere we can. So that's our immediate short-term goal. Where we hope to go in the following years is when I know fennel will have the impact we're hoping it does on the world is when a group of people who invest through fennel actually change the outcome of a vote that's happening in a public company. And that will be a huge stepping stone for showing people you truly do have the power because it really is, in my mind, a Wizard of Oz scenario where there's just a bunch of fake background things happening. And there's this system that's propped up to make you believe that things have to run in a certain way, but actually they can run in a completely different way that helps everyday people, helps climate. So that's what I'm hopeful for. Yeah, I think that there is so much space for the idea that it can be a triple win, a win for people, a win for wallets, a win for the planet as well, because we have so much technology nowadays and so many people able to think of creative ideas and really be able to harness that to solve these problems that in these industries, we see so many companies that are just making massive waves and just completely disrupting the industries and it can happen everywhere and this whole time period is so ripe for that change because we're changing so rapidly we're able to have this technology that is able to do so many amazing things so quickly it's really such an amazing time period that we live in and i think it can, we can definitely go in a wonderful direction of seeing awesome change that can benefit the world and benefit our lives and make it more sustainable so yeah i completely agree yeah and people want it that's the best part about it right we're not fighting yeah. this and that everyone wants definitely and i'll ask this question just because i'm definitely one of those people who loves to learn and learn all about all sorts of different things which is why i love coming on this podcast and interviewing people because i get to learn all about their businesses and each of their different fields that they're in it is just so cool the type of things that they're coming up with so i love to ask what are you currently learning right now wow that's a great question I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot of different things in this field. I think what I learned more than anything else is that there are a lot of people out there that want positive change, right? I used to think that I was alone in wanting this. And it turns out if you just take time and dedicate yourself, spend some time working on something you're passionate about that actually can help other people beyond just it could be anywhere. It could be your immediate circle, the world. It could be information like this podcast that you're doing. I have been shocked. And every day I'm amazed at the types of people I meet want to enact this positive change and want to help the climate and want to help social issues for no immediate benefit of their own. And I think that's a lesson I'm learning day over day. Initially, the cynic in me didn't think that was possible. And so I think that's what I've been learning throughout this journey. Completely agree because we live in a time period nowadays where we're told when we were younger that whatever you want to be when you grow up, you know, you can definitely go and be that when you grow up. 
And it's almost like we're at this time where it's shifting from, oh, you got to go get a job into, oh, what is your passion going to be? How are you going to impact the world? And versus what is just your job going to be? Everybody's searching for more meaning in their lives and more meaning in their work. And it's so much more possible nowadays with our access to millions upon millions of jobs around the world that we can apply to and access or creating our own jobs by becoming entrepreneurs. It's, we live in this time period where we're not so limited by, oh, I have to go up to the corner store or over into the city and take my resume and walk it to this manager and then walk another one to this manager. We don't have to do that anymore. We go online. I can apply for 600 jobs in Yeah, it's not just the one factory in your town. Right, exactly. So you have so many people who are limited by where they live, geography, or many other different factors now can get out there, get online, and connect with people from around the world. And so we live in such an amazing time period right now. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I'd love to hear what is one thing for any ecopreneur in the audience who might be listening, wants to grow their business, wanting to start their own green business. What is one tip that you might give them? Follow your passion. Really focus on the people you bring along with you and listen to them, right? They're there for a reason. And although it might be your idea and you might think you know best, you brought them there for a reason and they're attracted to the idea for a reason they probably know a lot more than you and give them as much space and partner with them, right? We can only truly change the world and we can only really build things that matter with other people. You can't do it alone. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's a community effort. Absolutely. Get together with your group of people. I love that. And if anybody would like to reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing at Fennel or looking to partner with what you guys are doing, how can they reach out to you? We have a website right now where you can preliminarily check us out, check what we're doing and sign up for the waitlist of the app. It's just fennel.com. That would be great. We're all over social media, so you should be able to find us on Twitter, Instagram, etc. I think we're under Fennel app. And then me personally, I have an Instagram under my full name. It's Daniel W. Naeem. That's N as in Nancy, A-I-M as in Mary. I'm going to be posting a lot of content about eco-friendly solutions, ESG and education trying to transfer what I know. And I'm always on the lookout for more people that are interested in this and just reach out to me. Definitely. Great. Thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on the show. It's been really awesome to be able to talk all about fennel, what you guys are doing, about ESG, getting really deep understanding of that here today. So I'm very happy that you could come on the show. Thank you, Billy, so much. It's been such a pleasure. And if you enjoyed hearing about how fennel is giving the power back to people's investments, allowing them to understand more about ESG investing and allowing people to make a difference in the companies through their shareholder vote, then I invite you to check out this interview with Corey from Balance Capital, where he has a portfolio of green companies where you can invest in companies doing right by the environment. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.